Remember, clinical trials are brand new. This is like experimental type therapy. And so you're going in realizing that, okay, they've given you the list of potential side effects, but guess what? There can be one that's not on that list that occurs and they're learning from your pet too. Welcome to Dog Cancer Answers, where we help you help your dog with cancer. Here's your host, James Jacobson. Hello, friend. Today, we are doing a deep dive into everything clinical trials. How can you find one? What do you need to know ahead of time? And what kinds of questions should you ask before you enroll your dog? To dive in with us, we are joined by Dr. Trina Hazah, an integrative oncologist who practices just outside of Los Angeles. Dr. Trina Hazah, thanks for being with us today. Thank you for having me. This is kind of an interesting episode because I want to go into this area of getting free veterinary care for your dog with cancer by enrolling them in a clinical trial. The idea behind this episode really all started when we got a call from one of our listeners uh, back in um, spring of 2019, Alicia in Denver, who had some questions about a vaccine trial that was being done there. And she decided to enroll her dog and she was glad she did. Let's listen to her update that she gave us. Yes, my name is Alicia and I'm calling from Denver, Colorado. I have more of a comment. I had called your show over a year ago, just asking about vaccine trials to prevent cancer as there were several starting up. And I got a mixed bag from you and understandably, because who knows if they work or don't. At any rate, I decided to enroll my eight-year-old Scotty. She was accepted after exams and um, ultrasounds, blood work, etc. And she received her first series of injections. Placebo, the real vaccine, who knows? Double-blind study. At any rate, she handled it well and no side effects. Six months later, same thing. We returned. They did all the rechecking. And she had a booster. I recently went back after about eight months this time because of COVID, everything was behind. And they did her blood work, ultrasound, etc. again. And they found mast cell cancer. And she was immediately referred for surgery. And they think they got most of it, which is great. After that, she started on chemo. She is getting eight doses of vinblastine. She has already had seven. She will have her last one next week, and they will do a follow-up ultrasound to see if the cancer is all clear at this point. I just want to say I have no regrets enrolling her, as I believe they caught the cancer possibly earlier than my regular vet may have. DSU also covered the entire cost of the surgery, which really, really helped out a lot. And I just want to give a big shout out to CSU and Dr. Pham, as their entire staff was great. Needless to say, I'm no longer in the study, but hopefully it was caught and we resolved it early with very early intervention. So I just wanted to comment on that. Thank you very much. Okay. So Dr. Hazal, what do you think about that? What do you think about the idea of, you know, basically she was able to get more veterinary care and discover this new tumor as a result of being enrolled in this trial? Well, I think it's great. I think that that she was able to enroll and then she had all this follow-up, right? She had to get routine blood work and ultrasounds and things like that post-trial. And that's kind of how this all popped up, right? Is that she was already enrolled and then after that 
during the routine kind of what they call staging test, they noticed this mast cell tumor. I mean, what a blessing in a way, right? Because without being enrolled and having to go in and follow up like that, it may not have been found or it may have been found months and months later and it could have been more problematic at that point. So no, I thought it was a really nice story to hear. And I think CSU is a phenomenal vet school. So yeah, I think it all really worked out for her and her pup because they were able to kind of catch things early. Is it common for dogs to develop other tumors after clinical trial participation? No, not necessarily. Unfortunately, there's just a a risk of cancer in general in older dogs, right? It's greater than 50% of dogs over the age of 10 develop cancer. And so I think that if her Scotty was placed on a cancer trial, it was just going to happen anyway, right? Just the timing of it, I think. It was just, again, I, I called it a blessing for her to be able to go back in just for routine checkups after the trial, and then they found this would depend on what the trial is. If you are doing certain therapies or certain radiation treatments, there are some risks that some of the therapeutics that we use in veterinary oncology can increase the risk of certain cancers. But I have never heard of a dog getting a secondary cancer from a clinical trial. Okay. So it's not causal, but it's just that unfortunately that's what happens to dogs. They get cancer. And luckily in this case, they was caught. She mentions an interesting point, which I imagine must be frustrating for anyone who's participating in clinical trials. I don't know if I'm getting the placebo or not. Mm, Yeah, no, it's tough. How do you assuage a dog lover or even a person that they're doing something good when they don't really know if it is? I think it's tough. I think you're doing it for the greater good too, right? I mean, I think the same thing for people, right? You do what you can and you say, look, I hope that I get the actual drug or I hope my pet gets the actual drug. But when you go into a double-blinded placebo-controlled trial, you don't know, right? And the thing which she said, I think also was that her dog didn't get sick, right? Did great. It doesn't mean that your dog didn't get the drug either, right? Maybe your dog wasn't going to get sick from the drug. So I think you have to think about it like that is number one, usually these trials are fully funded, right? And they are, most cases, you're not paying for very much other than the pre-trial tests are oftentimes something that the owners have to pay for, not always even. So cost-wise, sometimes you kind of weigh your risk and your benefits and say, look, it's not going to cost me for a very expensive drug, right? And so I'm going to take the 50-50 chance and roll the dice and hope that my pet gets it. And if my pet doesn't get it, I know that I've enrolled my dog in this trial for the greater good so it can help many other dogs in the future. And the types of veterinarians and veterinary care that a dog gets at some place like CSU, talk about that. Well, I think that it would be similar to the large private practice institutions too, right? The ones that have, you have a variety of different specialists, right? So there's that aspect. So you go into oncology and your dog also has a limp. And the medical oncologist says, geez, I'm really an oncologist. I don't know. This is me speaking, basically. Mm. I don't know anything about orthopedic disease. Let me just call my surgeon and see if they can take a look. Oh my God, thank God they came down because they found the limp was actually even associated with the cancer. The cancer had spread or the limp had nothing to do with the cancer. It was just your dog's getting older and has arthritis, but they came up with some really great ways of treating it. Or even better, I went down the hallway and I spoke to the rehab specialist who evaluated the dog and did some acupuncture. And so you get this kind of all-inclusive type of treatment 
which I think you get at a lot of universities as well as private practices. The benefit I think you get at some of the universities too is that they're on the cutting edge of a lot of these clinical trials, right? They get funding in different ways. They've written grants. There's certainly a research aspect to universities, right? Compared to the kind of the common private practice. You may get the full, well-rounded, multiple specialty approach at a private practice, but the clinical trial aspect and the research aspect is usually a little bit less. Does not mean it doesn't exist. We absolutely have clinical trials at our hospital, but usually it comes from, you know, a higher up structure that we are then supporting a clinical trial versus starting it and doing it primarily at our facility. Well, so if you're not near a major university, how would you find out about, for example, whatever trials that you had done through your hospital? How would someone learn about that? It's a great question. We get that a lot where pet owners have tried to do a variety of different treatments in their pet and they're like, are there just any clinical trials? I don't want to stop yet. And oftentimes what we do is we recommend they go to some of the sites like Veterinary Cancer Society, VCS is an organization that has most of the veterinary oncologists in the country as members, over 400 that are members that will then plug in which clinical trials are available. And so they can go there. Also ACVIM, which is the College of Internal Medicine, under that college is oncology. Mm -hmm. And there you can have a list of all the oncologists that are ACVIM, a board certified oncologist, and what trials might exist there. So that would be another good site. So I think both of those sites would be good. And also just ask your veterinarian, ask your local veterinarian, ask your oncologist, hey, have you heard of this trial? And a lot of times we're honest. If I've heard of a trial, there was a trial for a osteosarcoma vaccine, for instance, and there were a few of my patients that had gone through the trial. And honestly, none of them did very well and they got really sick. And so after doing some research, I realized that if the dogs were properly tested, their actual tumor was properly tested for this specific mutation, and they were positive for the mutation, then the trial would be more advantageous for that particular dog. Versus if they were negative for that mutation, honestly, it was not worth putting their dog through a trial that the dog would get really sick because I don't think it was going to work. And that's not built into the trial? It's not. It's not. Why is that? As a clinician, as a researcher, as someone who's sort of a geek and all this, why is that not built into it? I don't know. I I mean, it would be up to the people that were running the trial and put it together and did the trial design initially. And I think maybe they were looking for a lot of factors, right? Maybe they didn't know at that time that the dogs that were negative wouldn't respond, right? Maybe they just, in their mind, they thought maybe they wouldn't respond as well, but there might be a chance. And a lot of these dogs had spread of their cancer and there wasn't a lot to do for them. And so... I always like to think that everyone's going into this for the right reason, right? And I think that I'm sure they didn't know it until enough dogs went through to realize, hey, there might be something here. Okay, let's put a pin in it right here so that we can take a quick break. And when we come back, I want to pick up with a question that I have about the study that Alicia put her dog in. We will be right back. And now, a message from your dog. Oh, every day with you is like a day at the beach. And I want as many beach days as possible. Oh, I want to run. I want to sniff. Ooh, I want to find a good stick to carry. Oh, I want to roll in the grass. Oh, and warm my belly in the sun. Oh, I want to walk with you, run with you, sleep with you, eat with you. And when I eat with you, I want ever pop. 
The green, grassy beef liver smell wakes my senses. Oh, you may not realize this, but it tastes like homemade gravy. It infuses any food you give me with healthy life vibrancy. Oh, I can feel it. Ever pop traveling to every cell in my body, nourishing each one. I'm so grateful to be your dog and for the ever pop you give me. So now that you know what your dog wants, get Everpup, the ultimate dog supplement. Everpup is available in select pet shops and on Amazon. But to get the best price possible, join the Everpup Club at everpupclub.com, where you'll get your first jar for just $8 with free shipping anywhere in the U.S. Go to everpupclub.com and use the discount code DPN. That is everpupclub.com. Everpup every day. If your dog has cancer, you need to get a copy of the best-selling animal health book, The Dog Cancer Survival Guide. Because no matter what you've heard, there are always steps that you can take to help your dog fight and maybe even beat cancer. At nearly 500 pages, this comprehensive guide is your complete reference for practical, evidence-based strategies that can optimize the life quality and longevity of your dog. It's written by two of the most respected names in dog cancer, full-spectrum veterinarian Damien Dressler and veterinary oncologist Susan Ettinger. With the Dog Cancer Survival Guide, you'll learn everything that you need to know about conventional treatments, surgery, chemotherapy, and radiation, including how to reduce their side effects. You'll also discover the most effective non-conventional options, including nutraceuticals and supplements and diet, as well as mind-body medicine. What I love most about this book, which I've used with my own dog, Kanga, when she was diagnosed with cancer, is how to analyze the options and develop a specific plan for your own dog based on your dog's type of cancer and your dog's age, your financial budget, as well as your personality. You can get the Dog Cancer Survival Guide wherever books are sold, but if you get it direct from the publisher, you will save 10% when you use the offer code, especially for listeners of this podcast. Just go to dogcancerbook.com, and when you check out, use the promo code PODCAST, and you will save 10%. The website again, dogcancerbook.com, and use the promo code PODCAST to save 10%. I want to let you know about an important newsletter. It's called Dog Cancer News. Now, with a name like that, it is not for everyone. But if your dog has cancer, you will want to subscribe. That's because every issue features articles that will be helpful, such as low-carb dog cancer diet recipes, new clinical trials, financial resources to help pay for cancer care, information on supplements, and lots of other helpful info that your veterinarian may not know or have the time to share with you. Also, when you subscribe to Dog Cancer News, you will get a weekly update on the topics covered on this podcast, along with links and resources. So how much does Dog Cancer News cost? Well, today, you can subscribe for free. 
It's our gift. For a limited time, you can get a full year's subscription for free. No strings attached. Just go to this website to sign up for the newsletter now, dogcancernews.com. It takes less than 10 seconds to subscribe, and it is totally free. Do it now at dogcancernews.com. So our caller, Alicia, enrolled in this trial that's called the Vaccination Against Canine Cancer Study. And I think it's still ongoing. What do you think of the idea of vaccine to prevent cancer? I mean, this idea sounds phenomenal, okay. um, like almost like an HPV type vaccine for a dog, right? Mm-hmm. I would say love it. Like that sounds like a wonderful idea. The main vaccine that we use in veterinary oncology is a treatment vaccine, and that is the melanoma vaccine, which is a xenogeneic vaccine. That has been around God for a while, and that when we think of vaccine and immunotherapy, we think of that. There are certainly other vaccines where people have taken, you know, parts of a dog's tumor, ground it up, and given it back to try to elicit an immune response. That has been used for a variety of different cancers and have been published and presented at our annual VCS meetings. And to be honest with you, I have never been very excited about those because they've not given the results that I would have loved to see, a true improvement. I think we all get excited about the idea of immunotherapy working and really eliciting that immune response where the body can say, hey, this isn't normal, I'm going to kill you, which is exactly what's supposed to happen, right? That surveillance system. But for whatever reason, the vaccines that have been put out there so far that are that type of what they call uh, allogeneic type vaccine, right? Where Allogeneic meaning? That means from a different, so a different patient or a different species or mm. what they call an autologous vaccine, which is where they take your dog's actual tumor, your dog's actual tumor, grind it up and give it back to your dog to elicit an immune response. That's more of the autogenetic. Either of those, I've not seen as much success as I would have liked to see, but I think there's certainly still a place for it. It's just there needs to be a lot more research in that category. And what are your thoughts about going this route because you really can't afford standard of care, you can't afford, you know, the thousands of dollars that it costs to treat your dog's cancer. What are your thoughts about, okay, well, my dog has cancer. I can't afford it, Mm -hmm. but I will enroll them in this study. No brainer. I mean, I think if you're okay taking your dog in and going through the whole inconvenience part of it and your dog has a personality where you can drop it off at a vet school or a facility and leave them there for a full day or however long it's going to be. I mean, these are all factors you have to think about, right, Mm -hmm. when deciding. But say you had the, let's call it the happy Labrador that will take treats from anyone and, you know, would basically leave you for the neighbor or the person (laughs) that you don't even know because they have a hot dog in their hand, (laughs) right? Like the lab that we all love dearly, like if that's your dog, why not? If you want to do everything you can, especially being on the cutting edge and helping other animals and your dog's personality, you know, allows for it, right? There's a reason why cat trials don't exist as much as dog trials, because cats will come back and pee on your bed, right? Like, they're too smart. They're just like, you know what you did to me? I'm going to let you remember this for the rest of your life, right? So- And the rest of my life. (laughs) They just are, aren't they? And I I love them both. Trust me, as I think my cat's sitting behind me right now. But I think that I have to say that because I really believe that you have to, it's almost like you have to ask your dog, right? Like, 
how would you feel about this, right? I know it sounds crazy, but you know your dog best. And so having that conversation with your dog about how are you going to feel about being in a facility for a week or for a few days or for a day and then again next week and for the next six weeks, my dog has a very aggressive cancer. It's not going to live for more than a few months. I think it's well worth doing this. And my dog doesn't care about going to the vet. Easy peasy decision. If it's a cancer that can be easily cured with a surgery, perhaps finding maybe a local spot near you that can do discount surgeries. And so you're not having to then bring your dog far away and enroll, right? So like kind of weighing, again, it goes back to weighing kind of the risk versus the benefit and finding what fits best for your family and your pet. Other than leaving Scruffy at the institution when this is being done and maybe going back and forth, what are some other considerations that are not so obvious when you're looking at a clinical trial? That's a good question. I think there's a few. Your dog may never get the actual treatment if it's a placebo, Mm -hmm. right? So if there's a placebo available, then there's the chance that you do all of this and they don't get it, which we've spoken about, which is a major bummer sometimes. And then I think a very big one would be the potential for side effects. Remember, clinical trials are brand new. This is like experimental type therapy. And so you're going in realizing that, okay, they've given you the list of potential side effects, but guess what? There can be one that's not on that list that occurs and they're learning from your pet too. And so when you go in, it's going back to the greater good is like, I'm going to go in and know that there could be some side effects and my pet could be really sick. And questions to maybe ask would be something like, if my pet got sick, would the trial cover hospitalization, right? Because if we can't afford certain therapeutic options, then hospitalizing a pet is exceedingly expensive. And so making sure you ask those type of questions. What if my pet doesn't do well? Do I have the option to disenroll, right? Do I have the option to leave this trial or am I stuck here? right? These are good questions to ask because if they say, nope, you're stuck, they keep getting sick. I mean, I don't know. I mean, you just never know. There's so many different trials. Talk about this process of trial design because that's something that, did you ever have to do that through your training? You know, it's funny. I've worked on many clinical trials and I started to do a little bit of a design for a really cool one with actually curcumin. And then it didn't end up panning out for the hospital that I was working that I'm actually still at. So I have never actually gone through a full study design on my own because all of my education other than vet school has been at a private practice. So I kind of on purpose picked private practice because my skill set is really clinical medicine, working in a clinic and seeing patients and relating to clients and, you know, and kind of going in that way and not the research perspective. So I've never even been, even in vet school, I wasn't really excited about research. It just wasn't my jam. However, clinical trials, look, I've been part of many. Currently, I'm at a, I think it's probably now the largest veterinary hospital west of the Mississippi. I mean, it's a huge hospital. It's a flagship VCA hospital, and they have several clinical trials in all different departments. And that's something we are proud of as a private practice. You know, we follow the rules. We make sure that they don't have any factors that wouldn't allow them to be enrolled. All the consent forms are filled out. We go over them very carefully with the pet parents. Um, 
A really interesting clinical trial that I've been part of is actually a hemangiosarcoma clinical trial, which is a very common tumor of the spleen. Is a, that's a very common place for this type of tumor. It's a cancer of the blood vessels, very aggressive cancer. And we were actually using just herbal therapy as a treatment. So they would have surgery, get the diagnosis. But instead of doing chemo or targeted therapies, we've discussed already, they would actually say, "Ah, I'm not interested in chemo. I just want to do herbs. And so we would put together this herbal protocol that was set for every patient that would enroll in this trial. It was a really fascinating trial because you get people from all over that are interested in really going more of the holistic route and are not interested in the standard of care. Okay. Now, how do you find that about those? Because I imagine you mentioned ACVIM and BCS, Mm -hmm. and I imagine you can't find out about these herbal, you know, trials. Can you? Or is that another place? Um, I don't know. I wonder if VCS might have it because, you know, the woman that is that started the trial and it is the head of the trial, she is a veterinary oncologist as well as an integrative veterinary oncologist. So she is certainly part of VCS and part of ACVM. But there's also the AHVMA, which is basically the holistic, right, Veterinary Medical Association. They also have a website. And I would bet that if you went there and you asked some questions or you look, they may even have trials available there. Mm-hmm. And it was presented at a few meetings. So you inform the veterinarians. I think that's part of it too, right? Is just saying, even the general vets, hey guys, this exists. So if you have pet parents that don't want to go the full course or are thinking not even to do surgery because they don't want to do chemo, just tell them if they want to do surgery, this other option is available. I'm a big believer in follow the money. I got to understand how clinical trials would be done and designed and paid for when it's a, a non-patented pharmaceutical. How does that work? I mean, I'm, I'm kind of thinking through this. I think that the pharmaceutical companies that have most of the these drugs that we're talking about, like actual drugs or vaccines, most of these are made by pharmaceutical companies. And so they support a lot of the cost for, you know, they subsidize most of the cost for the tests and for the drug and things like that. Because the truth is, it, I mean, clearly it benefits the company. If a trial can prove that their drug is efficacious for a particular cancer, especially a cancer that is so difficult to treat, it's a no-brainer, right? I mean, they would benefit. That makes sense. But I was trying to pose that question in terms of the clinical trial you were just explaining. Oh, for the herbs. The herbs. Like, yeah. there's not a lot of patented medicine. There's not a lot of, I mean, who's sponsoring that trial? Some of the herbal companies. Okay. The ones that are actually making the herbal formulations. So they can custom make herbal formulations for a specific disease process. There was, in this particular trial, vitamin D was part of it. And so the company that makes vitamin D and actually tests vitamin D levels They supplied all of the vitamin D tests as well as the actual vitamin D drops. So we had a lot of kind of donations from the herbal companies and vitamin D, mushrooms also from the herbal companies. So I think that, I will say it, I think holistic medicine is just a little different. It's very like inclusive, Mm -hmm. right? We all are like this big team of let's just try to find what works and let's share. Let's share with everybody, right? Little different sometimes when it comes to pharmaceuticals, right? Yes, very different. So that might be an option too, like an herbal trial, which you could find by going to one of those societies that you mentioned, AHVMA or VCS, et cetera. We'll make sure to put a link to those groups in today's show notes. 
But basically, if you can't afford veterinary care for your dog and you can avail yourself of one of these trials, you say go for it. Again, you weigh your risks and your benefits, and then you go with what feels right and what's a good fit for you and your your pet, right? I mean, a lot of times what I say is there's no right or wrong. You have to go what feels right, and you have to pick the decision that you regret the least, meaning that you go forward with a trial, and God forbid your pet gets so sick from the drug and maybe doesn't even make it. Mm-hmm. Do you kick yourself and say, you wish you never did it? Or do you say, I knew this was a risk. I went forward because I wanted to give my dog the best chance. And this is what I thought would give my dog the best chance. And at the end of the day, I helped other dogs doing this, right? And if the answer is no, I'd never forgive myself, then you don't do the trial. No regrets, basically. Yeah, or at least amount of regrets, I guess. Yeah. (laughs) Dr. Trina, I never have a regret when you're with us. I'm so grateful. Thank you so much for being with us again. Thank you. We're going to take a quick break to pay some bills. Then we're going to talk a little bit about how to avoid regrets by calculating risk. There's a pretty simple formula I use that'll help you make decisions, not just in how to help your dog, but perhaps in every other area of your life. I'll tell you about that on the other side of this break. We'll be right back. We are back, and as promised, here is a simple formula to use when deciding whether to pursue a particular treatment or not. Ask yourself this question, what do I stand to gain by saying yes if this works out the way I hope it will? And then ask yourself, what do I stand to lose if I say yes and it doesn't work out? In other words, what is the best case scenario if you say yes? And what is the worst case scenario if you say yes? To make your decision, compare the two scenarios. And if you stand to gain more than you stand to lose, well then say yes. And if you stand to lose more than you stand to gain, then say no. There is a good article on this on Dog Cancer Blog, so be sure to check that out. We are gonna put a link to that article in today's show notes with a lot more details on this. You can find the show notes either in your podcast app or on our website at dogcanceranswers.com. That's also where you can find our entire back catalog of episodes. Those touch tones, they are here to remind me, to remind you to call into our listener line and leave a question for one of our veterinarians just like Alicia did on today's show. You can call 808-868-3200 and leave a recording. That's 808-868-3200. It is a phone number here in the United States. So if you are listening to us from abroad, anywhere outside the United States, use the US country code plus one. And don't forget to subscribe to our newsletter at dogcancernews.com and join our private dog cancer support group on Facebook. The link is in the show notes and you can also get to it at dogcancersupport.com. One last thing before we wrap up, please do us a favor and click the subscribe or follow button on this podcast in your favorite podcast app or on YouTube. 
It can help us rise in the rankings. And that's important because it can help more dog lovers who have a dog cancer diagnosis find us when they need us. And that is really what Dog Cancer Answers is all about. I'd like to thank Dr. Trina Hazah for joining us today. And thanks to Alicia in Colorado for calling in with her update because it sparked a really interesting conversation. I'm James Jacobson, and from all of us here at Dog Podcast Network, I wish you and your dog a very warm aloha. Thank you for listening to Dog Cancer Answers. If you'd like to connect, please visit our website at dogcanceranswers.com or call our listener line at 808-868-3200. And here's a friendly reminder that you probably already know. This podcast is provided for informational and educational purposes only. It's not meant to take the place of the advice you receive from your dog's veterinarian. Only veterinarians who examine your dog can give you veterinary advice or diagnose your dog's medical condition. Your reliance on the information you hear on this podcast is solely at your own risk. If your dog has a specific health problem, contact your veterinarian. Also, please keep in mind that veterinary information can change rapidly. Therefore, some information may be out of date. Dog Cancer Answers is a presentation of Maui Media in association with Dog Podcast Network. Is artificial intelligence going to change veterinary medicine? Well, it already has. Right now on Dog Cancer Answers, we're speaking with Dr. Kelly Deal of Morris Animal Foundation about how AI is impacting veterinary research and the practice of medicine itself. That's on Dog Cancer Answers. Get it wherever you get your podcasts or at dogcancer.com slash podcast.